It was in the 1970s when I started seeing many women who had been on a fasting diet. And something I noticed when I would suggest that they measure their inches around their thighs and hips and belly, rather than paying so much attention to their weight, the fat is very light compared to protein and water. And so when they lose weight quickly, it's often the protein that is disappearing uh, and the fat. Uh, if you're uh, fasting for uh, a week or 10 days, uh, they have found that the great majority of the uh, weight loss is in protein and water with hardly a dent in the fat. Welcome to the Win at Life podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can break free from restrictive diets and build a body and life you love. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and your host for this episode. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Ray Pete and my business partner and friend, Emma Skarakis. I found Emma and Ray Pete's work shortly after I got divorced and it changed my life completely. Today, I'm so passionate about sharing it with other women and I'm constantly sending people to their articles because they're packed with such great free information. In this podcast episode, we asked Dr. Pete a ton of questions. We chat about PUFAs, which is polyunsaturated fats, and the beginnings of the health myths surrounding them, PUFAs versus other fats, how PUFAs impact your metabolism, how and why your anti-aging creams and other products might actually be pro-aging, the effects of fasting on your metabolism and immunity, the importance of muscle mass, why excess estrogen increases chaos in the body, why the body actually needs sugar, what causes diabetes, how and why caffeine can bring on a stress reaction, the protective effects of coffee. And actually, in fact, Emma started drinking coffee when she fell pregnant. A healthy range of body fat for women. You'll actually be surprised at what this is. HRT in the pill, what causes menopausal symptoms, the importance of and demonization of dairy, and so much more. As always, take a screenshot and share your biggest takeaways on Instagram stories and tag me at K-I-T-T-Y-B-L-O-M-F-I-E-L-D. Let's spread the word and free other women from restrictive diets. Hi, Dr. Ray, Pete, and uh, everyone knows, well, actually, everyone who follows me will know who Dr. Ray Pete is because we talk about him all the time and reference his work. Um, so I've got two amazing people on the podcast today, Dr. Ray Pete and um, Emma. Everyone knows Emma, my friend and business partner in Saturday. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Ray. I just wanted to say thanks again for coming uh, on the podcast and and answering all our questions. A lot of the women that follow me are like me and have come from a background of super restrictive diets and get really sucked into the diet industry. And I actually remember when I found your work, Ray, and then I also found Emma's. It was at the same time after I'd gotten divorced and I was just punishing myself, eating nothing and exercising like crazy. And then I stumbled across Emma and and Ray and started working with Emma and it really changed my life completely. Um, And I'm really so, so grateful and super passionate about, you know, um, sharing it with, with other people. You, you just have such a wealth of knowledge and I always say to people, go to his website, go and read his articles. There's so much great stuff there just for free that you can um, utilize yourself. So Emma and I have written out a list of uh, questions that our clients, I should say my clients, um, typically have. So I guess I'll just 
perhaps read through the questions and then Ray, you can answer them and Emma can jump in when she wants to. So the first one is around uh, polyunsaturated fat. So regarding uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids, oils, PUFAs, as we refer to them, and their instability when exposed to heat, light and oxygen that, you, that you've educated about for decades in the nutrition realm, how would you explain to someone new to this concern about PUFAs, the issues of applying them topically on the skin and therefore how skincare products loaded with these oils should be reconsidered? Because Emma often talks about, and we talk about, you know, not eating them. But I guess one thing also too that I did for a very long time was used a lot of really crappy moisturizers and things and just rub them on my skin. So I'll just let you start with that question. Uh, the uh, PUFA question has been scientifically uh, manipulated since about 1940. Uh, the, uh, at that time, coconut oil uh, was very popular as a, a butter substitute, a cooking oil. Uh, 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 people were uh, doing very well uh, with lots of uh, prepared foods containing coconut oil. But uh, about 1950, the petroleum chemists uh, discovered how to make paint and uh, plastics out of petroleum and uh, the uh, seed oils such as uh, uh, cottonseed oil and uh, soy oil in particular had been used primarily uh, for making paints and plastics because they oxidize so easily, uh, they solidify. Uh, and uh, when the petroleum industry uh, displaced uh, uh, the, the seed oils from the, the paint industry, uh, the growers of soybeans and other uh, highly unsaturated uh, oil seeds uh, had to find a new market. Uh, uh, one market was uh, feeding them to pigs. Uh, they found that they fattened the pigs tremendously. They didn't eat so many calories, but they put on fat uh, much more economically. Uh, and despite knowing what they did to pigs, uh, they wanted to expand their, their sales. Uh, and so they uh, re resurrected an old discredited uh, study uh, uh, claiming that the polyunsaturated fats are nutritionally essential. Uh, the, the claims said maybe uh, less than a gram a day uh, 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 might be uh, required, but, but the scientific basis for even that amount uh, was discredited already in the 1940s. Uh, so uh, on the basis of publicity rather than science, in the 1950s, people were taught that uh, eating these polyunsaturated fats uh, would uh, lower their cholesterol, uh, prevent heart disease, and, and many other things, uh, neglecting the fact that they were proven to be great for the pig industry uh, to fatten pigs economically. Uh, they do exactly the same thing to people. Uh, they stimulate the, the laying down of fat. Uh, and in the process, uh, the, the same thing that happens uh, when they make paint or plastics uh, out of the seed oils, 
that happens in the body, they oxidize as soon as you warm them in the presence of oxygen. They instantly be begin degrading, uh, turning into solid materials if the concentration is high. Uh, otherwise, just uh, breaking down into toxic fragments, uh, uh, besides stimulating fat production, uh, they taint the fat uh, so that in the future, uh, uh, as you draw out these uh, fats to metabolize, uh, they are uh, more poisonous than when they went in. Uh, an, an experiment anyone can do to see what happens even at room temperature uh, to a bottle of soy oil, for example. Uh, if you put a connect a rubber tube to the top of a bottle of oil and put the other end of the tube in a cup of water, after a few hours, you'll see the water rising in the tube because the bottle of oil is consuming oxygen as fast as if there was a little animal in the bottle burning the oxygen. Just spontaneously at room temperature, the oils are beginning to harden and breaking down, consuming oxygen. And if you imagine raising the temperature from room temperature to body temperature, 98.6 degrees, that process happens even faster. And on the skin, uh, these oils, uh, as unstable as they are, are exposed to uh, air pressure oxygen, very high concentration of oxygen, making them uh, uh, break down even faster. And if the cosmetic uh, product that you're putting on your skin happens to contain traces of iron uh, or uh, other metals, uh, that will catalyze uh, a faster breakdown uh, and uh, uh, conversion to toxic materials. Uh, and besides uh, producing the, the toxic uh, carcinogenic irritants uh, on the surface of your skin, the skin has a, a barrier function uh, so that when we're uh, immersed in water, uh, we, we don't get waterlogged very fast. Uh, it's like we have a, a sort of a rubber suit that is a barrier against the water. Uh, but uh, this, this is built up of the uh, of dying skin cells, several layers of uh, compacted, uh, keratinized skin cells are impregnated with oil, uh, sebum, uh, formed by our skin oil glands. Uh, so uh, it, it's the same idea as putting uh, grease uh, on your boots to keep the water out. But the grease goes right in, right through the leather. Uh, and our skin being impregnated with oil easily takes up anything oil-soluble. Uh, so what you put on your skin, some of it is going to very quickly, if it's an oily material, uh, it's very quickly going to show up in your bloodstream. Uh, and uh, by the time it gets there, these polyunsaturated oils are going to be uh, broken down uh, and uh, uh, to different degrees toxic to your 
immune system, blood vessels, uh, uh, every tissue is slightly poisoned by them. And Ray, um, just sorry, just to cut in there for the new listeners, because we get a lot of women who start to follow us and they're not so familiar with the different types of fat. Could you please just list out examples of the fats that you're talking about, these polyunsaturated fats? Uh, Safflower seed oil, uh, cotton seed oil, which was a staple for many years, uh, soybean oil, canola, uh, um, uh, sesame oil is, is fairly uh, high in them. Uh, olive oil is relatively safe because it's only 8 to 12% of the toxic oils, and it contains uh, antioxidants. Uh, uh, coconut oil has only 3% of the toxic oils, uh, and uh, so is much safer. Butter is about 3% of the toxic oils, uh, but butter... Uh, some of these uh, uh, toxic PUFA, uh, the small percentage in butter, some of them uh, have been converted to trans fatty acids. And the trans fats, which are formed uh, by the cow's rumen bacteria, uh, these happen to be especially protective uh, against uh, the polyunsaturated fats. So uh, the the trans fats that occur naturally in butter are protective, uh, where the artificially produced uh, trans fats are chemically different, uh, and they are in themselves harmful. Uh, but uh, uh, butter, uh, uh, despite having 3%, uh, has, has so many protective factors that uh, it's probably the safest of all uh, oils uh, to, to consume. And Ray, what about, could you talk about fish oil and krill oil? Because um, that's something that prior to finding you and Emma, I used to take a heap of, like I remember I competed in some fitness com- competitions and at one point my coach had me taking eight tablets per day and a lot of women come to us and they're taking, you know, these fish oils. Can you please talk about those? Yeah, organisms that live in a cold climate uh, uh, can't produce saturated fats because saturated fats are are solid at uh, uh, room temperature or uh, even the uh, uh, semi-monounsaturated solidify at cold uh, ocean temperatures. Uh, So especially in the uh, cold uh, northern or or southern hemisphere uh, oceans, uh, the organisms uh, starting with algae, produce highly uh, unsaturated fats that remain liquid uh, at right close to freezing temperature where the algae thrive. Uh, and the fish uh, eat the krill uh, uh, and plankton and things that uh, consume the algae-produced uh, uh, fats. Uh, and so the, the fish load up on extremely highly unsaturated fats that are stable at 40 degrees Fahrenheit or close to zero degrees Celsius. And in the cold environment, their body temperature is so low, these highly unsaturated fats don't break down 
uh, terribly fast. Uh, fish farmers have experimented and found that if you're growing salmon in an artificial environment and feeding them fish oil and then measure their physical endurance, how fast and how far they can swim, and then you change their diet and give them a more saturated fat, as saturated as possible for their uh, living temperature, just enough so that, uh, that it stays liquid. But a more saturated animal type fat improves even the physical endurance of salmon. So fish oil isn't so great even for fish, uh, except when they're at an extremely low temperature. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the fish oils have of many fatty acids with four and five double bonds where seed oils grown in a cold climate, for example, like soybeans, will be very rich in a three double bond molecule, a linolenic acid or a two double bond molecule, linoleic acid. But the in proportion to the number of double bonds a molecule contains, it, it, uh, it is more unstable at a higher oxygen exposure. Uh, so it, uh, the, the four and five double bonds uh, mean that they are uh, extremely susceptible to uh, immediate rancidity or oxidation. Uh, by the time they reach the bloodstream, uh, they are already... Uh, oxidizing and becoming immunosuppressive. Uh, the, the, uh, the krill krill oil is just a, a, a small version. The animals have assimilated the algae polyunsaturated fat and pass it along to the uh, the bigger fish. But it's essentially the extremely, uh, uh, mostly four and, <clears throat> four and five double bonds in each molecule. And a great series of studies in uh, France looked at the uh, effect on the thyroid hormone. Uh, they had noticed that the metabolic rate slowed down in proportion to how much unsaturated fat a person was eating. Uh, so uh, they not only are, are easily stored in our fat, but they slow our ability to oxidize and get rid of fat. Uh, and the French uh, were wondering uh, what the mechanisms are that cause our metabolic rate to slow down in proportion to how much uh, fish oil or seed oil uh, uh, is present. And they found that the enzymes that produce the thyroid hormone in the thyroid gland are blocked in proportion to how many double bonds are in the fatty acids that they're exposed to. And then once the hormone gets into the bloodstream, the protein that carries 
thyroid hormone throughout the body uh, is inhibited from carrying uh, and delivering the thyroid hormone in proportion to the number uh, of double bonds. And once some of it gets delivered uh, to these cells uh, where it's going to be active, if the cells contain uh, polyunsaturated fats, their response ability to respond to the thyroid hormone is blocked exactly in proportion to the number of double bonds in the molecule. Uh, and so with uh, uh, olive oil, which has a, a great high percentage of a poly, a monounsaturated fatty acid, uh, that has only a mild uh, effect on blocking the cell response, the transport, and the formation of the thyroid hormone. But linoleic acid, a major PUFA of seed oils, it has twice the blocking effect as the monounsaturated. Linolenic, three times the effect. Fish oil, four to five times the anti-thyroid effect. And that's only looking at one hormonal system. Uh, when you look at the enzymes involved in making progesterone, for example, uh, uh, the, the enzymes are blocked in proportion to the number of uh, uh, double bonds. Uh, the carotene molecule happens to have an extremely high number of uh, double bonds, and it will block both your thyroid hormone and your progesterone production, uh, so that if you eat too much carotene, it has an effect uh, similar to the PUFA in uh, accumulating in the corpus luteum uh, of the ovary to the point that uh, the corpus luteum becomes a, a red body and no longer can produce progesterone. Uh, but, but the PUFA uh, them, themselves uh, have that same steroid blocking effect. Uh, the, the and Ray, could you also, sorry, I know we these questions weren't what we sent you, but just as I you're talking, I'm thinking about other things that our clients ask us about. What about grain-fed, soy-fed, corn-fed um, animals versus pup? <coughs> Sorry, <coughs> versus pasture-raised animals. Could you talk um, about that? Uh, yeah, the, the the reason cows uh, can make their uh, protective saturated fats, uh, they turn the PUFA, uh, which is a, a very high component of the fats in grass and hay, uh, and and even cereals. Uh, the, the, the rumen bacteria uh, are able to uh, uh, saturate, hydrogenate uh, the naturally occurring uh, PUFA uh, in grass. But the grass, uh, living fresh grass, also contains a large amount of vitamin E in proportion to the PUFA, uh, which uh, grains uh, have concentrated the PUFA but don't have much vitamin E in proportion. So the cows that eat fresh grass have a lot of 
uh, vitamin E in their rumen and are able to uh, destroy 98% of the PUFA occurring in the grass, uh, roughly, uh, leaving about 2% uh, for the uh, uh, r- residual uh, toxic PUFA and some uh, trans fatty acids that are intermediate between PUFA and saturated fats. Uh, the uh, uh, the grass also naturally contains uh, uh, other nutrients, but but the main thing is that the high vitamin E content uh, is necessary for the cow uh, to destroy uh, the PUFA, the, the great majority of the PUFA. Great, thank you, um, Emma. Did you have any more questions you wanted to ask around the PUFAs and the skin? Yeah, um, oh no, look, just yeah, it really comes to that conclusion, doesn't it, Kitty, as to why we're doing what we're doing. But um, yeah, with everything considered that you just talked about, Ray, in regards to to poofers and their potential toxicity, um, and considering you know when we consider that you know, some of the main pillars of that sort of wellness industry and the anti aging kind of push, um, and you look at the poofer laden skincare products, the fish oils, you know, eat more salmon, drink your carrot juice, talking about carotene, you know, it's just, it's just, it should be a reminder to everyone to question everything that they're being sold um, and that marketing is a powerful thing, but it's not necessarily based on any fact whatsoever. Um, just makes you realise that these things that are sold as being potentially anti-aging are perhaps pro-aging. Uh, yeah, some of the dermatologists uh, 40 years ago uh, were studying exactly that question. Uh, and in one experiment, uh, they shaved rabbits so their skin uh, was exposed to sunlight. Uh, and uh, one group of rabbits uh, got a, a diet high in polyunsaturated fats, the other uh, only saturated fats. Uh, and the skin exposed to ultraviolet light uh, uh, with the presence uh, of PUFA, wrinkled and aged very quickly uh, the, uh, on the uh, uh, saturated fat uh, rabbits. Uh, the skin was very resistant to burning uh, and aging. Uh, that's because the uh, multiple double bonds act as an antenna reacting uh, to uh, ultraviolet light. And in your skin, uh, when you've eaten uh, something rich in uh, PUFA, uh, your skin uh, becomes hypersensitive uh, to uh, being excited, turned into free radicals and oxidized by ultraviolet light. Uh, In the absence of uh, PUFA, uh, your skin naturally contains uh, several substances uh, uh, that are sensitive and destroyed by ultraviolet light. For example, riboflavin, vitamin B2, is easily destroyed uh, by either blue or ultraviolet light. Uh, but uh, ordinarily, uh, the, the uh, surroundings uh, don't amplify that. Uh, occasionally, uh, a vitamin B2 molecule will break down and become toxic uh, when exposed to light. But when you have PUFA 
uh, in your skin as well. Uh, anything that uh, has become excited and damaged by ultraviolet light, such as vitamin B2, uh, then uh, spreads its uh, excitation to uh, other sensitive molecules in, in the environment. And the PUFA uh, acts as an amplifier, uh, 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 a spreader of the free radical uh, uh, breakdown uh, oxidizing process. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, that uh, uh, stimulates the production of, lac of uh, prostaglandins uh, uh, and a, a whole cascade of other uh, inflammatory materials. Yeah, incredible. Did you have anything else, Emma, that you wanted to ask around that? I could go on for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, uh, yeah, I think if that's not enough to make people question the ingredients or, you know, what they have been applying to their skin or, you know, ingesting, obviously, it's, 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 very, it's a very important topic, isn't it, for everyone to understand and why we harp on about it so much. Um, yeah, and, and as Ray pointed out, some of the polyunsaturated oils look out for the ones that can sit at room temperature or below and remain liquid you've got to question that um and it tends to be those more old-fashioned fats that remain rather solid at room temperature the ones your grandmother probably had sitting on a bench um you know the drippings the butter the coconut oil these make a lot more sense something that people my age probably uh, remember but i think you're too young to remember the lard uh, they used to sell lard in blocks, uh, mm -hmm. and it was solid at room temperature. Uh, a pound of it would be uh, uh, a rectangular block that kept its shape. Uh, and uh, uh, now, uh, if they sell lard, it has to be in a tub because it, mm. it's semi-liquid at room temperature. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, they were still feeding uh, the pigs a better mm -hmm. diet, uh, and their fat uh, reflects very closely, like chickens uh, and pigs and other non-ruminant animals. What they eat shows up uh, very closely uh, in their fat composition. Uh, and uh, for many years, uh, they were uh, even the government sources were calling uh, lard a saturated fat. And then an analysis uh, about five years ago. I found that it was thirty per, more than thirty percent PUFA, mm. extremely toxic with fat. Uh, someone recently uh, decided to uh, try making safer pork. They have a, a pork farm, and by changing the diet, uh, feeding them a, a residue from, a, a, I think, a beer factory, and. A, uh, produce from their farms uh, uh, rather than a soy and corn-based diet, uh, that they had the pork fat analyzed and uh, rather than being 30-some percent PUFA, theirs was slightly uh, uh, higher than butter, 4%, a fraction over 4% PUFA. Wow. Uh, so their, their, their pork would be uh, extremely safe to eat, to eat because of the uh, the uh, closeness uh, to our natural uh, high body temperature uh, stable fats. 
Yep. Yep. So even more of a, a grass-fed tallow would be a better choice um, unless you're able to access a high-quality lard. Yep. I remember when I first started working with Emma and you would always talk about, you know, what your grandparents used to eat and it made me think back to my grandma who's dead now and when we would go to her house, you know, we'd have eggs cooked in butter and she'd actually squeeze oranges and drain the pulp out for us and cut up fresh fruit from her garden. She made heaps of ice cream and custard. She made the best custard and she cooked with lard and she made a lot of roasts and like steak and kidney pie and kidneys on toast, lots of organ meats for my granddad, which at the time I was like, um, you know, didn't like it much, but it, she really did you know, eat, eat this way, um, homemade cakes and, and biscuits with butter and flour and sugar. And yeah. And then as she got older, I just remember, you know, someone diagnosed her with lactose intolerance and she started drinking, you know, almond milk and soy milk and really moved away from that diet that we used to eat when we were kids, which is so crazy. It's such a shame. Yeah. 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 You would have been doing um, so well. Oh, I know, I know. And it's just delicious food, really. Like I think about mum, mum too, you know, we ate butter for a long And then I remember when, you know, she started switching us all over to margarine and we used to have Nutalex and it just tastes yucky, you know, compared to beautiful, yummy butter. Um, well, it's it another just- example, isn't it, how industry, you know, their financial interests and, and how powerful marketing is that it convinced an entire generation that, something manufactured in a factory could be superior to something as beautiful as butter. And it, mm. it worked, didn't it? Mm. Yeah, I know. It's, um... the, the, the same thing has happened with eggs. Uh, yeah. In the 1930s, uh, eggs contained a, a lot of cholesterol and very little PUFA. But uh, every 10 years or so, uh, measurements have shown that the cholesterol content of eggs has been decreasing uh, uh, so that they at one time were a high cholesterol food and safe because of the low PUFA content. Now they're an extremely high uh, PUFA food with uh, uh, just sort of a survival minimum of cholesterol uh, decreasing every decade. Uh, for 70 or 80 years. So if Ray, someone wanted to eat eggs, what should they look for? Um, If you can find them uh, from some uh, farm with uh, uh, independent ideas, like the pork farmer, uh, if they feed uh, uh, table scraps, uh, 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 more saturated uh, uh, foods, uh, and let the, the chickens uh, graze and find bugs uh, and uh, uh, vary their diet, but, but uh, uh, basically feeding them more like a, a human food diet. Uh, the eggs taste better. Uh, uh, actually, I've noticed that the taste deteriorates uh, when they brag about the the high PUFA content. Uh, the saturated fats uh, make them actually taste better uh, as well as having um, more uh, of the valuable nutrients. It's also nicer for the chickens. You know, you see those terrible cage farms where they're all shoved into those tiny little cages and they never get to see light. 
And I think it's just like animal cruelty as well. So awful for the animals. Absolutely. Mm. Do you have any more questions on pewters, Emma? Or the Emma's, um, Emma's, Emma's been working away on the skincare. It's why it's taken her a year and a half. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's just been trying to get something that's yeah. Oh, just trying to yeah, being free, but it's something. Yeah. And and as we'll probably come to find as we get it out there, hopefully, and and help to educate people on these things, I'm sure there'll be a level of backlash in the industry because it mm. rattles what so many products are based on. But it's, um, yeah, the fact that we couldn't find much available uh, that was 100% saturated, there's there's a need for it. Certainly not an easy task to take on though, wasn't it? But mm. extremely necessary. But, yeah, probably, um, you know, that's terrific on that information. And if you want to jump into your other questions on diet-related topics, Okay, great. Okay, so the first one is um, around, you know, a lot of the restrictive fad diets, so fasting, keto, low carbs. I did all of them for many years and literally, you know, starved my body because I was so focused and I wanted to lose weight and I wanted to be skinny and I wanted to be lean and I just thought that, you know, this was the best way to do it. And obviously I achieved that, but it was very hard to sustain. And I ended up with all of these issues like regular and painful periods out of miscarriage and poor sleep and digestive issues and constipation. So um, Ray, you know, so many of the women that come to us and that listen to this podcast have cycled through one or more of these restrictive diets to try and lose weight. Can you please talk about the effect that they have on the female body, on thyroid, on hormones, um, you know, because I, I think women just don't realise what these diets are doing to their body. Um, it, it was in the 1970s when I started seeing many women who had been on a fasting diet. And something I noticed when I would suggest that they measure their inches uh, around their thighs and hips and belly, uh, rather than paying so much attention to their weight. Uh, uh, the fat is very light compared to protein and water. Uh, and uh, so when they lose weight quickly, it's often the protein that is disappearing and the fat. If you're uh, fasting for uh, a week or 10 days, uh, they have found that uh, the great majority of the uh, weight loss is in protein and water with hardly a dent in the fat. But if you eat a, a diet that's uh, fairly balanced but low in calories, uh, you can lose uh, moderately little uh, protein but a lot of fat. and. Uh, I was seeing women uh, who, uh, when they would uh, uh, look for the changes in in diameter uh, of their uh, thighs and calves and hips, uh, uh, they would, I asked them to contract their calf muscles, and nothing would happen. Uh, 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 they had uh, atrophied the calf muscle should be. Uh, very big, uh, uh, approaching the, the size of a, a cantaloupe in a big person, big, big, plump uh, muscle. But these dieters 
had no visible muscle at all, just uh, little strands embedded in a, a sort of shapeless uh, a cylindrical uh, uh, mass of fat. Uh, and that's because the, uh, they had been repeatedly uh, uh, on a near fasting diet. Uh, been, they've been destroying their, their good metabolizing tissue. Uh, a study was done on these women who uh, were claiming that they gained weight even on a reducing diet of 12, uh, 1,200 uh, uh, calories a day or even less. Uh, in the experiment, they put them in a locked hospital ward where they knew they couldn't be sneaking food and found that even on 800 calories a day, some of them could still gain weight because they're the muscles which normally consume a, a big part of our calories, the muscles had simply atrophied to almost nothing. So the, the first thing to, to worry about is getting enough protein to rebuild your muscles. But the, on the second day of a fast from, from 12 to 24 hours of a complete fasting, the the reason the protein loss begins is, is that as soon as your blood sugar falls from fasting and burning up your stored glycogen, immediately your thyroid function falls. The, the production, the conversion of thyroxine to the active hormone T3 falls almost to zero. Uh, and if you're under stress, it, that can happen uh, even between meals, uh, falling blood sugar, uh, if you don't have stored glycogen, will immediately knock your metabolism down so that you're living on maybe 700 calories a day where the normal person should be uh, burning 1,700 calories a day at rest. Uh, so the thyroid hormone precedes uh, when your thyroid uh, slows down. Uh, the, the function of that is so that your, your muscles won't uh, uh, eat up your uh, proteins, converting the proteins to sugar for energy. If you didn't knock your thyroid down, uh, pretty soon your, your heart and lungs and brain would uh, uh, get depleted of, of a protein and fail to function. So uh, the, the cooling your metabolism is sort of like going into hibernation uh, when food is scarce in the winter. Uh, a bear drops its body temperature, slows its metabolism, uh, and uh, can get through the winter uh, uh, on a uh, without eating, uh, so the, the falling uh, T3 activity is defensive in that sense. But the, the it's glucose that is needed uh, in a fair uh, abundance to convert thyroxine to the active hormone. And when that is happening, then you can assimilate protein as protein. Uh, uh, thyroid is actually our basic anabolic hormone. 
it builds muscle uh, and in its absence, uh, atrophy sets in, sarcopenia, uh, uh, loss of the uh, muscles uh, and immune tissue uh, fails. The, the thymus uh, is eaten up and converted to, to sugar at a very early stage of fasting. Uh, so you're not only uh, uh, destroying your uh, ability to uh, function and burn calories, but you're making yourself susceptible uh, to all sorts of sickness by, by damaging the immune system. Uh, and uh, once you get your uh, anabolic T3 restored, uh, then uh, the, the protein in your diet will be assimilated uh, for restoring your thymus and rebuilding your muscles. So, Ray, would you, I guess from that, then, you know, you, you're talking about muscle is good. It's good to have more muscle or try and maintain that muscle mass? Uh, uh, yeah, the basic thing that happens uh, with aging frailty uh, is the progressive cumulative loss of muscle mass. Uh, muscle is not just burning calories, but it is, an, uh, among other things, it's an endocrine organ. Uh, it, uh, when it's functioning well, is actually producing uh, androgen-like steroids. When it's under stress, it's emitting cortisol, making the problem worse uh, by breaking down uh, proteins, uh, by shifting the ratio uh, towards cortisol uh, away from the anabolic uh, androgenic hormones. So would you, because uh, another thing that w women do and I was the same is I like would just do heaps of cardio because I was like, oh, I've got to do cardio for fat loss. And I I would go into the, I'd get up in the morning and have my black coffee and I'd go and train fast and then I'd do an hour of HIIT training and then I'd do an hour of weight training with no food. Um, can you, can you, I mean, would you recommend that women do some strength training versus, you know, running for hours and hours? Uh, uh, yeah, because uh, in one experiment, uh, people were put on a treadmill at a very moderate uh, uh, fast walking, uh, not, not even a run. So they uh, didn't raise their uh, pulse rate uh, above 119 or 120 beats per minute. That's barely uh, borderline aerobic activity. But after just one hour of that kind of uh, moderate walking, they found that the T3 level had already dropped close to zero. <clears throat> but if the person had a, a, a generally good health, uh, after a rest, a few hours rest, uh, their T3 would come back uh, because they could uh, get their glucose up and their cortisol down. Uh, but it, it doesn't take very much uh, of the aerobic type exercise to, to start the metabolic collapse uh, of losing your active thyroid hormone, turning on uh, the catabolic uh, steroids, cortisol. So would you say then, um, 
you know, cause I, I do strength training and I also like to get out in the sun and I walk my dog Winston every day. So would you like low intensity cardio is okay. Like walking and bike riding and, you know, like how would you measure that? Like, um, I mean, one thing I try and do is if I'm just breathing through my nose, you know, if I, if I started to run, obviously I would. Um, yeah, you, you should, should be able to keep breathing through your nose. You don't want to get out of breath. Mm. And so your nose breathing should be adequate if you aren't exercising too hard. Mm. And you should recover your breathing and heart rate should uh, in just about three minutes, they should come back uh, to your uh, resting rate. Mm-hmm. And Ray, what about um, this is just in line with the restrictive diet. So no, another really popular one for women is keto. And sometimes I'll get women saying, or people just saying, yeah, but you know, you don't need carbohydrates. Your body can um, make energy without them. So that means that they're not you know, necessary. Can you just talk about keto and comment on that? Oh, sure. Uh, the, the way your body makes a carbohydrate is by destroying protein. And the, the things we were just talking about, uh, uh, lowering your T3 is one of the things setting you up for a catabolic uh, reaction. Uh, the uh, As soon as your body needs more glucose than you're eating, it turns on the hormones, especially cortisol, used in breaking down protein. And so your body can't tell whether it should break down the protein you just ate or the protein in your muscles and thymus gland. And the, one of the consequences of shifting away from a steady abundance of glucose from your diet and stored glycogen, once you shift over to the cortisol breakdown of protein to turn it into a carbohydrate, that is knocking down your thyroid function. Uh, and uh, the, the thyroid, uh, besides uh, being uh, anabolic to your protein and immune system, restorative, uh, it's also an essential thing uh, to regulate many systems, including the retention of salt and magnesium. Uh, and something that surprised uh, some of the keto researchers uh, on a ketogenic diet, they found that aldosterone, the salt-regulating uh, hormone, uh, was increased on a ketogenic diet. Uh, and uh, at the same time, the cortisol uh, was increased. Uh, the uh, uh, function of aldosterone, uh, it uh, uh, serves to uh, maintain a, a good blood pressure it's normally produced by anything that creates inflammation uh, uh, and uh, tends to go up with high blood pressure caused by uh, inflammatory signals. But the aldosterone itself 
is perceived by the body uh, like cortisol as a, a sign of dangerous stress and the uh, uh, aldosterone increase uh, <coughs> inhibits the ability of your cells to use oxygen for energy production uh, and it activates the uh, uh, production of, of a parathyroid hormone uh, which has that anti-metabolic uh, 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 shifting parathyroid hormone shifts you from oxidative energy production to glycolysis, the wasteful uh, uh, conversion of glucose uh, to lactic acid. Uh, and so that's another uh, drain on the glucose, but especially a, a, a suppression of your whole energy system. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, uh, one of the good things about uh, weightlifting exercise is that uh, when you're constructively building the muscle, you support the muscle's ability to produce androgens rather than cortisol. Uh, so you're uh, taking care of the cortisol excess problem when you're uh, uh, doing the, the, the gentle, uh, safe muscle building exercises. Mm. Awesome. Uh, Emma, did you have any other questions you want to ask around the diets? Yeah, well, I think just, um, you know, keeping in mind that picture of a woman who's constantly going through, you know, putting herself through restrictive diets, um, chronically under-eating, perhaps doing more cardio and seeing the muscle wasting as opposed to muscle building and that constant stress, how then does something like estrogen then throw things even worse when you consider, you know, estrogen accumulation with ageing, perhaps having been on the the pill for many years, perhaps going on HRT post-menopause, how then does estrogen just further create, you know, increasing chaos in that woman's body? Uh, uh, yeah, in, in the 1930s, uh, uh, around the time that uh, just before the polyunsaturated fats uh, were uh, discovered to be very toxic, uh, estrogen uh, was considered a, a toxic inflammation promoting hormone uh, and it was only a huge propaganda campaign by the estrogen industry that created the idea that it's the female hormone uh, 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 males uh, old men who are under stress or, or younger men who, who is, uh, had had either an traumatic accident or is very sick, uh, uh, man's estrogen will rival uh, uh, the peak estrogen production of, of young women. Uh, so it's absolutely not a female hormone. It's just a stress-related or traumatic uh, response uh, hormone. It helps to uh, renew self-production which seems to be why it's associated with a traumatic injury. It has the, the effect of creating new cells. And in the uterus, that's what it does. It causes uterine growth and preparation of a rapid multiplication of the lining of the uterus in preparation to receive the implanted 
embryo. Uh, but that, that function is wound-related, in effect. Uh, it creates a, a small injury reaction in the uterus uh, to, to multiply cells, uh, uh, preparing it for the later action of, of progesterone to mature the cells. Uh, and uh, uh, the, um, it, it was uh, very early recognized uh, to be uh, 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 interacting, uh, uh, causing the uh, 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 it, the toxic effects of polyunsaturated fats to increase, uh, and all of the effects of polyunsaturated fats uh, uh, were seen to be uh, amplified by estrogen uh, and vice versa. Uh, uh, estrogen and uh, polyunsaturated fats uh, uh, were both uh, protected against by vitamin E. Uh, so vitamin E was thought of as an anti-estrogen drug, uh, as well as protecting against age pigment formation. Uh, that was one of the early toxic effects of, of PUFA, was that it increased age pigment formation exactly the way high estrogen does. And so the combination of, of uh, estrogen with PUFA uh, gave you a maximum rate of, of uh, uh, that uh, age pigment accumulation, which happens in the brain, uh, uh, all of the organs, as well as on the skin. And uh, vitamin E was found to be anti-estrogenic uh, and uh, anti-age pigment formation. It, it will even help to remove the pigment uh, once it is developed. Uh, but uh, uh, more, more recent research ha has found out one of the uh, other interactions between highly unsaturated PUFAs, such as in fish oils, uh, and uh, the effect of estrogen. Uh, very similar uh, to the way they interact with uh, preventing the transport of thyroid hormone uh, through the bloodstream. Uh, they act on the proteins that transport estrogen through the bloodstream, uh, loosening, uh, pre preventing the binding uh, by the transport protein, uh, liberating the estrogen in proportion to how much of the highly unsaturated PUFA uh, you're exposed to, uh, liberating the estrogen to go into cells uh, and produce its uh, estrogen effects. Uh, so uh, several uh, different levels are known uh, in which PUFA uh, and uh, estrogen interact to interfere with uh, oxidative metabolism uh, to disturb uh, just about every uh, uh, differentiated uh, maturing uh, function of the organism. Uh, X-rays, uh, ionizing radiation, uh, for example, synergizes both uh, with polyunsaturated fats, which are sensitive to any high-energy radiation, uh, and synergizes with estrogen effects. Uh, and uh, all of those uh, effects are protected against by both vitamin E and progesterone. 
Fabulous. Yeah, thank you. And I guess it goes to show as a reminder for women who've gotten to a certain place and they're not feeling good about themselves or their bodies and if they can look back and I suppose acknowledge they've been chronically under eating, you know, for decades perhaps, they've probably been on the pill, um, perhaps exercising in a strenuous, you know, highly stressful way, not to be so hard on yourself because all of these things collide and, you know, create the situation they're now in, but to, yeah, work towards making the appropriate changes as Kitty, you know, teaches. I think give it time, you know, you can't undo 20 years in 12 weeks. No, never. Yeah, I wish. (laughs) We all wanted to go faster. Mm. Um, Do you have any more questions, Emma, before I move on to the next question? No, this is great, yep. Okay, great. Uh, Ray, could you please talk about sugar? Um, and why we need it and why the health and fitness industry has just demonized sugar. Cause I, when I, I mean, when I found Emma, I was eating zero sugar. I wouldn't even eat fruit and I made my own almond milk and anything with an ounce of sugar. Um, I just completely cut out of my diet because I was so convinced that it caused cancer and it would make me gain body fat. Um, but obviously, you know, Emma helped and you helped to re-educate me and now I eat lots of fruit and juice and ice cream and custard and I'm so much happier. So could you talk about sugar, please? Uh, uh, yeah, the, the anti-sugar industry uh, probably started uh, with the calling uh, the, the wasting disease uh, of diabetes. Uh, people would, uh, once they uh, were diabetic, uh, they would get skinnier and skinnier uh, and finally die of, of a, a starvation, basically, because uh, they couldn't use their sugar at all. Uh, and uh, uh, they called it the, uh, the sugar disease because the, the sugar was, uh, the protein was being converted uh, to sugar, uh, but they couldn't use the sugar. Uh, and so it would show up in the urine, uh, making the urine sweet. Uh, and thinking of diabetes as caused by glucose, uh, a fit when the PUFA industry started creating their myth about the essential unsaturated fatty acids, <laughs> that went with the demonization of cholesterol cholesterol, which is actually uh, protective uh, against the toxic effects uh, of unsaturated fats. Uh, Cholesterol was given the blame for heart disease. And uh, since uh, sugar uh, was given credit for causing uh, diabetes, uh, one particular uh, doctor, I think his name was Yudkin, Y-U-D-K-I-N, proposed that uh, the fact that uh, uh, sugar uh, helps to raise cholesterol, uh, that sugar uh, was the demon uh, behind heart disease, uh, where uh, the actual mechanism uh, known is that the breakdown of the polyunsaturated fats are, are creating, uh, among other things, uh, lipofuscin-like chemicals uh, that irritate and inflame First of all, the blood vessels, uh, and uh, that sets up a process in which cholesterol 
is detoxifying, binding to, and uh, to some extent blocking the toxic effects uh, of the polyunsaturated fatty acids. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, this famous book uh, around 19, uh, early 1970s uh, uh, added to the demonization of, of sugar, saying it causes heart disease uh, as well as diabetes. Uh, but uh, continuing uh, research was showing that what causes diabetes is the, it's called the Randall effect. Uh, when you are forced in the stress uh, to draw protein or amino acids and fats out of your tissues, the free fatty acids in your bloodstream turn off your ability to, to oxidize glucose. Uh, and that's a, a, a very well-established mechanism. Increased free fatty acids uh, uh, can immediately uh, turn off uh, your ability to, to oxidize glucose. So uh, under, under stress where you're liberating uh, fatty acids, uh, you, in, in effect, immediately become diabetic. And when you can't uh, assimilate, uh, produce energy from your glucose, that means you can't activate the thyroid hormone. Uh, so that's part of why the uh, uh, fats, uh, uh, shifting your metabolism towards fats, uh, has such a destructive effect. Uh, the, the actual diabetic uh, can't uh, produce any energy from uh, glucose, and so they have to uh, uh, tear down their protein, and even that doesn't work, so they, they die by wasting away uh, the, the uh, so-called type 2 diabetic uh, is generally uh, overweight uh, uh, and uh, uh, still has uh, lots of circulating free fatty acids that are blocking uh, the ability to oxidize glucose. Uh, but even though you can't oxidize it, some of it is being, uh, uh, in an emergency metabolism, uh, being converted to lactic acid. And the lactic acid uh, adds to the general uh, degenerative inflammatory processes. Uh, but uh, uh, the, uh, the, the biology and biochemistry of it has been very clearly established that uh, at every level, uh, blocking the, uh, the tissue's ability to uh, consume and, and efficiently metabolize glucose or to the action on the pancreas, uh, free fatty acids uh, will kill uh, newly uh, regenerated beta cells in the pancreas, uh, and uh, constantly uh, the pancreas is attempting to regenerate, uh, converting stem cells into new beta cells, and uh, to survive, the beta cells need need to oxidize glucose, uh, but as long as there's free fatty acids, the newly born uh, insulin-producing beta cells uh, are, will be killed uh, by the blocking effect of, of the uh, fatty acids. Uh, 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 the, the same sort of thing uh, happened in uh, uh, claiming that sugar causes or, or supports cancer. Uh, 
uh, it came from completely uh, misunderstanding or, or getting out of Harvard's research backwards. Uh, he showed that in cancer cells, the presence of oxygen no longer is able uh, to suppress the uh, formation of lactic acid, that even in the presence of oxygen, cancer cells will keep converting glucose to lactic acid. Uh, he didn't say anything about uh, uh, glucose uh, causing cancer, just that cancer cells misuse their sugar. Uh, and uh, when they uh, are deprived of energy, cancer cells uh, are a, a sign of stress. The body, in response to any kind of a tumor, increases its cortisol production and breaks down good, healthy, protein-based tissue to convert the amino acids to glucose to continue feeding the cancer. But the cancer is perfectly able to consume amino acids and fats. It's just that the the stress uh, uh, breaks down the, the healthy body so fast that it tends to uh, keep supplying uh, glucose. Uh, but the cancer is also living on on protein and and fats. Uh, uh, so the, the the idea that sugar causes cancer uh, got it exactly wrong. Uh, if you withhold carbohydrate uh, from a cancer patient. Uh, the, the wasting process uh, is accelerated because uh, the body will raise its cortisol uh, and uh, uh, break down the good tissues faster uh, to, to keep the cancer energized. Uh, and uh, the uh, when you look at the effect of different kinds of carbohydrate, uh, starches are made up of chains of pure glucose, uh, where the uh, fruits, fruit derives, uh, uh, sucrose, our uh, standard sugar, uh, is a, a molecule composed of one half glucose and one half fructose. Uh, and glucose is a powerful stimulant to insulin production, uh, which turns on uh, fat synthesis. Uh, among other things, and fructose doesn't stimulate insulin. Sometimes it even inhibits the production of insulin. Uh, so uh, when you eat a, a pure starch, you're eating pure glucose, which gives you a powerful uh, insulin reaction, which quickly lowers your blood sugar, and the lowered blood sugar uh, it increases cortisol production, uh, and uh, so you get a, a tendency to lay down fat from the insulin and tear down protein from the cortisol uh, when you get a, a bouncing up and down blood glucose. And uh, sucrose, especially when it's taken with fruit, uh, comes with many other nutrients, especially uh, potassium and magnesium. Uh, which are uh, stabilizing uh, uh, the, the metabolism uh, and uh, 
keeping a high, high metabolic rate. Uh, uh, thyroid hormone uh, is our basic uh, uh, maintainer of uh, both uh, sodium and magnesium uh, uh, functions. Uh, if your thyroid is low, uh, your aldosterone rises uh, and you lose magnesium. Uh, and uh, it, in proportion to how low your thyroid is, uh, you tend to lose sodium too, despite the, uh, the aldosterone. Uh, uh, so the, you can't just look at the amount of magnesium, calcium, sodium, and potassium in the diet. You have to look at how the thyroid is responding to those. So your requirement for most of those, especially magnesium and sodium, increases to the extent that you've suppressed your thyroid. Um, Ray, just something that I've noticed, people will message me on Instagram saying that they've been diagnosed with, um, and this relates to sugar, with type 2 diabetes or PCOS, and their doctors put them on metformin, and it seems to be becoming more of a like regular thing. Could you talk about that? Uh, uh, yeah, the uh, insulin uh, in the 1950s, they were already seeing uh, the possibly because it was made uh, from pig pancreas, but it was uh, turning out to uh, be killing. Uh, the death rate from diabetes it increased after the introduction of insulin, uh, oddly. Uh, so uh, people were realizing that uh, insulin uh, wasn't doing anything for public health. Uh, and uh, they uh, first introduced uh, uh, a chemical uh, that lowers the ability uh, to make energy from glucose, and that caused it to uh, uh, be wasted. And so it would lower your uh, uh, blood sugar in proportion to how fast you're wasting it. But after uh, 10 or 15 years, that was taken off uh, the market because uh, the uh, wasting of the blood glucose took the form of lactic acid and acidosis was killing more people than the diabetes. But metformin came on the market when the previous closely related chemical was taken off the market. And now it has become sort of a wonder drug that they're using for everything, even though uh, now and then, uh, there's a publication saying that, that it can uh, cause lactic acidosis the, the way its uh, predecessor did. And Ray, could you sorry? Uh, could you comment on? Because um, a lot of women will will say, or they think that white sugar, cane sugar, is poison. But you know they'll say that it's completely different to the sugar found in fruit or juice. So could you talk about white sugar and, you know, um, sugar found in fruit and juice? Oh, oh well, uh, uh, it, it's mostly uh, fruits uh, do contain uh, uh, sucrose, but uh, a lot of them contain some free fructose uh, and free glucose uh, as well as other 
minor sugars, but sucrose in fruits, uh, the, the main, main advantage is that it comes with lots of antioxidants, anti-stress factors, anti-inflammatory, uh, 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 the, the flavonoids, for example, and potassium uh, and uh, magnesium. Uh, and uh, so it's, it's part of a, a very complex, uh, valuable uh, nutrient, e- even with uh, quite a bit of like 1% uh, uh, amino acids uh, that can add to your protein balance. Uh, uh, but the, uh, uh, if, if you're getting uh, good nutrition, uh, then uh, uh, where a, a person would uh, think nothing of uh, eating a, a bowl of white rice uh, or, or a potato, uh, which contains lots of starch. Uh, the idea of getting a similar amount of calories uh, from white sugar uh, uh, has been demonized. But if your nutrition is, is generally good, uh, there's nothing wrong with, with white sugar. In fact, it's uh, very low uh, in allergens, uh, uh, so it's a, a safe. Uh, it can lower your cortisol when you're under stress. Uh, so it, it has many protective effects. Uh, in the late 19th century, uh, there were two doctors, one in France and one in England, who cured their uh, classical uh, wasting uh, uh, diabetic patients, uh, patients who were losing uh, uh, pounds pounds every week of tissue uh, and had uh, uh, maybe a, a two-month life expectancy, uh, feeding them all the sugar they wanted. They, they reasoned uh, they're going to die soon, so why torture them by depriving them of what they're craving? Uh, and it happened that uh, giving them a regular diet of beef and potatoes and milk and whatever the standard diet was, as well as any amount of sugar that they craved, they would generally eat 12 ounces a day of white refined sugar as well as their regular diet. And instead of dying in a month or six weeks, uh, they recovered, went back to work, no longer diabetic. And, and when you look at the mechanisms, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, keeping the blood sugar up to their cravings was lowering their cortisol, uh, stopping the destruction uh, of their tissues, also stopping uh, the poisoning uh, of the pancreas with the free fatty acids. Uh, so it actually turned around uh, the fatal disease. Uh, uh, it helped them make their own glucose and uh, return to health uh, and uh, a normal diet uh, in just a matter of a few weeks. Uh, uh, the the uh, myth that glucose uh, or that sugar causes diabetes uh, was sustained and uh, became uh, part of the background of the insulin treatment and, and then of the, the metformin. Uh, uh, I think fenformin was the uh, preceding uh, very toxic uh, uh, glucose waster. Uh, 
Um, and so, Ray, would you say then, because I, I remember when I was, so I always reference back to studying when I worked with Emma initially, because it was just like all these light bulbs were going off in my head and it just made so much sense. And, you know, a lot of women think, and I used to think the same thing is, oh, I'd cut all the sugar and carbs out of my diet and I'd get all these cravings. And I just think, oh, why am I so weak? You know, like, how can I stop getting these cravings? Um, and would you say that the cravings are your body's way of telling you that you actually need some fuel and you need some sugar versus that you're weak and that? Uh, uh, yeah, the, the cravings uh, for uh, nutrients as essential as uh, sugar and sodium, for example, uh, are very good uh, uh, indicators of close uh, biochemical uh, indexes uh, of uh, your actual need. Uh, and uh, for example, uh, I used to uh, eat huge amounts of sugar and never gained weight, uh, ate a tremendous number of calories. As soon as I took a thyroid supplement, uh, my uh, cravings for food in general uh, came down to more normal level and I no longer craved uh, uh, sugar all the time. Uh, I could go uh, hours uh, without eating uh, or getting a headache from uh, the drop in blood sugar. Uh, the thyroid, uh, it, it, by keeping the blood sugar up, will stop the, the sugar craving. And it even affects the cravings for salt. Uh, a hypothyroid woman, for example, uh, uh, suffers from both uh, sugar and salt cravings uh, premenstrually. Uh, and uh, af after uh, studying the effects of uh, sodium balance in pregnant women suffering from hypertension <coughs> and preeclampsia, uh, some studies showed that all, all they needed was uh, adequate protein and a salt supplement, uh, and their blood pressure and preeclampsia was cured. Uh, I, I saw the similarity in the premenstrual syndrome, uh, women would restrict their uh, sodium uh, as the doctors prescribed and still retain uh, five to 10 pounds of excess water in the premenstrual two weeks, swell up and, and become miserable. And when I suggested, uh, why not follow your cravings? <laughs> you crave uh, salt crazily uh, during the premenstrual time, uh, why not try salting food to taste? And the women who did that uh, uh, no longer had water retention or, or PMS. Uh, and the uh, same thing happens even in old people. They put them on a salt-restricted diet, uh, and they become unable to uh, sleep normally uh, and uh, retain water uh, and get lots of uh, uh, very serious symptoms. A uh, 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 few friends who were in their 80s uh, uh, heard about the uh, PMS women uh, uh, following their assault cravings, uh, and they tried it. They no longer needed their high blood pressure drugs, uh, and their sleep immediately returned. Uh, they could sleep soundly when they were uh, getting enough sodium. It's amazing how we've been. Uh, we really underestimate the incredible innate intelligence of our bodies and we've been very much discouraged to just 
go with our cravings and listen to our instincts. It's sort of so many answers are right there, but it's, it's yeah. And then did you say, Kitty, when um, you have these kind of cravings, what is our immediate reaction? It's like, oh, how weak am I? How, you know, I, mu- I mustn't succumb to them instead of going, wow, what's my body trying to tell me? Uh, yeah, cultural conditioning uh, has uh, created a, a great fear of both uh, sugar and sodium. Mm. Uh, and uh, uh, that, that same sort of uh, cultural distortion uh, deriving uh, from totally unbiological uh, uh, purposes uh, it has uh, demonized milk. Uh, uh, there, there's great political uh, ideology growing up. Uh, it's been going on since about 1850 uh, when uh, the need for cheap labor in the factories uh, wanted women and children uh, to work in the factories uh, and uh, someone invented uh, the the nipple uh, on a baby bottle uh, so that the, the women could stop breastfeeding so they could go work in the factory. Uh, the, those outside pressures convinced doctors that breastfeeding was bad. Mm. Uh, in, in the 1930s, uh, my aunt was a nurse at that time, for example, and she was taught that uh, she should uh, feed her, her kids the uh, approved nutritious synthetic formula. And then the formula companies uh, saw the, the market uh, and uh, they began uh, educating uh, not only uh, European and American uh, uh, women, but uh, in uh, the, the third world countries, teaching women who didn't even have uh, clean water uh, for mixing the formula, but to promote their sales, they were convincing uh, even the poorest women in the world to buy uh, their formula because breastfeeding was bad. Uh, so uh, for uh, about uh, f- at least 50 years, uh, the uh, medical indoctrination, uh, which they don't want to recognize that ever happened, uh, the, the medical professions prefers to uh, erase that uh, from their history. But uh, for uh, from 1930 to the 1960s, the, the medical profession was heavily uh, discouraging breastfeeding, prescribing even heavy doses of uh, estrogen to dry up lactation to cause premature atrophy of the breast. Uh, and uh, lots of women uh, died from blood clots and strokes uh, in their, the time when they should have been lactating. Uh, because of the uh, treating them with such high doses of estrogen. Uh, and uh, finally, in the 1960s, uh, 50s and 60s, studies were being done uh, showing that uh, breastfeeding uh, produces a better uh, uh, development of the face, uh, the shape of the mouth uh, uh, and jaws uh, is altered uh, uh, when, when a, a bottle is substituted for breastfeeding. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the vendors of the formulas have uh, created their uh, own uh, nutritional standards, incorporating 
all of this mythical uh, stuff about the essentiality of PUFA uh, and uh, analysis of many baby formulas has found that naturally when they put uh, polyunsaturated fats in a dehydrated uh, formula, uh, it, uh, everything that's dehydrated is going to be degraded by oxidation. Uh, and so if there's PUFA in the powdered formula, it is highly oxidized and toxic. Uh, but uh, that's sold to the public uh, because uh, uh, supposedly it's an, uh, an essential nutrient. Uh, but what they're selling is is a highly degraded form of it. Isn't that scary criminal. to, to criminal think of all these women who are um, formula feeding their babies and that have no idea? It's just encouraged. It's just it's it's the big reminder, isn't it, that we need to, you know, keep practicing common sense. Um, it, you know, the marketing is strong and the the pressures are strong, but it's bring it back to simplicity. Mm. Do you have any more around the sugar before I move on to the next question, Emma? Uh, no, no, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's good. Eat, eat the sugar, everyone. Plus it's tasty. Um, and when you crave it, you crave yeah. it for a reason. Yeah, just, just oh. stop it. And obviously, I mean, it's, it's again, common sense, but when you, when you get that overwhelming sugar craving, it's just, you know, don't necessarily reach for the, the donut in the office, but um, keep the the fruit bowl full drink some orange juice add a bit of extra sugar to your coffee it's yeah choose choose your better forms of sugar but it's 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 necessary it's your body screaming out and warning you that blood sugar levels are crashing and stress is about to to elevate oh speaking of coffee uh, that reminds me that uh, a black coffee uh, on an empty stomach uh, gets into your circulation so fast that if you're on the borderline uh, for stress, uh, the, the, the caffeine accelerates your uh, burning of sugar. Uh, and so it can bring on a stress reaction if, if you don't accompany it with uh, food or cream and sugar or something like that. And the coffee itself is one of the most powerful anti-stress factors in the world. It has uh, just about every protective function that you could imagine. Uh, for example, it will, if you use it on the skin or have enough uh, from internal uh, use of coffee, uh, the uh, caffeine is powerfully protecting against PUFA breakdown in the skin. Uh, it uh, quenches and uh, blocks free radical damage. Uh, it is both anti-inflammatory and antioxidative in the skin protects against skin cancer uh, and uh, keeps the liver uh, functioning uh, against all kinds of stressful factors. Uh, so uh, coffee isn't just a, a stimulant drug, but it's, it's an extremely powerful protective factor. Actually, on that topic, Kitty, you and I were just discussing this recently, but this is for me way back in my first pregnancy when I discovered years, uh, Ray a couple of years before that, but I, um, we were talking about coffee and I'd never been a coffee drinker because I was in the health world and coffee is not a good thing, apparently, or so I thought. And the more research I did, the more I figured that actually coffee is incredible. So 
when most women embark on pregnancy, one of the first things they're recommended is cut back on or avoid coffee completely. I actually took up coffee drinking as, you know, as I was pregnant. Um, and that's when I brought it into my diet, having learnt about all its protective factors and the importance for the baby's lung development and so many other things. So I was I was doing the opposite, but that's when I you know, learned to embrace coffee and, you know, <laughs> haven't let it go since, obviously, because you come to love it as well. But it's, um, you know, quite a controversial topic because it's one of the first things recommended to a pregnant woman to to cut out. Uh, uh, yeah, it's really important to make sure that uh, you don't go at it too, no. too intensely and, until you give it a chance to work. Uh, uh, a friend of mine uh, was sure that she uh, w- would get the shakes and uh, feel very stressed if she had even half a cup of coffee, but she was taking it on an empty stomach and not using cream or sugar in it. I suggested that she start with a small amount, adding cream and having it with breakfast. In just a few days of doing that, suddenly her whole problem of keeping her blood sugar up, having all of the stress symptoms that she normally had if she didn't constantly eat during the day, after just two or three days of getting the right use of coffee, she was able to go all day without the shakes and her endurance greatly improved. No more blood sugar problems. Absolutely. And this is another reminder about context, isn't it? You, know, you don't talk about something in isolation, but when something like coffee is done correctly in a person who's got relatively stable blood sugar levels and it's eaten with or after food and sugar and milk or creams involved, um, coffee should actually calm a person as opposed to induce stress. And if it's if it's inducing any kind of stress whatsoever, you should reassess, pull back and, and look at your diet as a whole and how you're doing it um, because it should be something that, you know, only adds to your well-being when it's done correctly. Even I notice now, um, you know, because obviously before I met you and Fan Ray, I was, you know, getting up, drinking the black coffee, empty stomach. Now I'll have a, a big breakfast with eggs and palms and cheese and um, lots of fruit. And then I'll have the coffee and I have a cup of milk with it and I have sugar and collagen. But even now I notice if I don't have adequate carbs with it, I notice that I have get low blood sugar symptoms after. But as soon as I add more fruit or add more sugar, I feel nice and balanced after. It's just really interesting. I think when you just even experiment on yourself, you can notice these things. Uh, uh, yeah, um, I, I got uh, conscious of, of the effects of protein uh, one morning when I had uh, 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 to, to be in a hurry. Uh, I ate just a couple of scrambled eggs and didn't have my usual uh, milk and juice and at that time, potatoes or something with them. And uh, for, the, for the next uh, several hours, I was having extreme hypoglycemia. And I realized that uh, that very often happens with eggs. Uh, uh, dieting women uh, will uh, very often have a breakfast of uh, nothing but eggs. Uh, and that powerfully stimulates insulin. Uh, and uh, you get a... a rise of insulin without sugar to back it up 
And so uh, very quickly after eating uh, two eggs, uh, you, you can uh, suffer hypoglycemia uh, if your liver isn't well stocked with glucose. Uh, so uh, with uh, one egg, I find that it takes at least 10 ounces of orange juice uh, not to have a, a drop in the blood sugar. So with two eggs, it's more like a pint of, of orange juice to balance it. Yeah, I think because women are so, and we've talked about the sugar and carbs, like I used to be so scared of sugar and carbs. But when I actually started to track my food and experiment, I realized, oh, how much carbs I actually needed. And, you know, obviously in time after I, you know, ate more and stopped flogging myself with cardio and doing more um, strength training and just lowering all the stress, my body's, it seemed like my body's ability to handle carbs just became better and better. And now, you know, I eat, quite a lot of carbs and sometimes I even surprise myself and think oh wow it's amazing how much you actually how much I actually eat now um but I think so many women are so scared to eat carbs because they've just been so demonized or they've restricted for such a long period of time you know their things have all been their metabolism's down regulated um and you know as soon as they eat the carbs they start to gain weight um and you know like women I think we're all well, anyone who's dieted for a long period of time, we just get so obsessed with our weight. And I think a lot of women find that hard initially when they're introducing the carbs. Would you find that too, Emma? Oh, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's something that they don't want to see even a, you know, a kilogram appear, but perhaps their, you know, impression of themselves and where they should be is, is warped by what they see in social media. Um, and they do, they, they need to acknowledge, you know, how long have they been in this depleted state and potentially running on stress? And there's probably an adjust, adjustment period in between where the body's going to need a few extra kilos on it to help it repair. And Ray, this relates just to this question. It's not in the questions, but it just made me think of it while we're talking about weight um, and body composition. You know, you talked before about taking the measurements and looking at the body composition versus the weight. What would you say is a healthy range of body fat for a woman? You know, like being obviously too super lean isn't very good and being severely obese isn't good. What, what, what do you think is a good range? Um, the, the fat produces some very important uh, hormones when you aren't under stress. Uh, and uh, so fertility, for example, uh, 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 requires a, a certain percentage and uh, generally, it's uh, the uh, uh, subcutaneous uh, fat that is typical uh, of females uh, 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 around the hips in, in particular. Hips and thighs uh, should be uh, very well padded with subcutaneous uh, fat. Uh, and uh, some, something around 30% of uh, the body fat uh, body weight uh, can be fat uh, and compatible with health. Wow, that's incredible to think. So what what would you say, because a lot of women would go, oh, 30% body fat, that's way too much. You know, when would you say, what, what percentage, like, is it getting to be a real problem? Because I think that women, you know, um, really want to be lean, you know, like when, when how low is too low? Um. The, the, the ones that I've seen having problems 
uh, it was done in the teens. Wow. So you think, you know, like Emma and I have talked about this, and I know obviously you can't go, oh, there's this exact body fat percentage because everyone's different and, you know, like you want to look at their subjective and objective measures of metabolism. But would you say that, you know, under 22%, under 23%, under 24%, like, you know, when does it start to be, you know, you mentioned teens under 20s and I've been very low body fat under in under 20% and I experienced lots of issues, you know, poor sleep, irregular cycles, um, now I'm obviously my body fat's a lot higher and I feel a lot better. So, you know, like, do you think 22% is too low or would you say more getting to under those twenties? Uh, I think that's sort of the, the borderline range. Uh, uh, I think people are usually, uh, generally feeling better when it's a, a little over, uh, 25%, mm-hmm. probably 25% is safe. Mm. Yeah, which is like, you know, I think a lot of women will listen to this and go, wow. Hey, Emma. Like you and I, Emma and I were messaging about this because we, I get lots of questions about it and women are like, I really want to be lean, Kitty. I want to be lean. Um, but they're also struggling with so many of these other issues. And I think the fitness industry really portrays that like lean look as healthy. Yeah, and I guess it's your priorities, isn't it? It's They'll say, I want to be lean, but we should twist that round a bit and say, I want to feel good. I want to sleep well. I want to keep stress down. I want to look, you know, look good and look young in my skin. Um, and just leanness being, you know, the top of their list, which does not necessarily bring health. Uh, some big studies done by the, the military uh, of uh, average-sized uh, average uh, women and men both they found that doing any kind of daily work, even often office work, both men and women worked better, more efficiently if they were getting at least 100 grams of good protein every day. I would consider 80 grams of good protein sort of a minimum. But according to the Army study, uh, uh, the actual uh, health and productivity was better at, at 100 grams or higher. And, Ray, would you say if you're active or doing strength training, would you want to eat a bit more protein? Uh, probably. Uh, uh, you can in- increase uh, muscle building by uh, increasing the protein because uh, some of uh, leucine, for example, uh, acts like insulin uh, and is a- anabolic for muscle. Uh, so you can actually uh, push uh, the anabolic effect uh, with increased protein. But I, I think for longevity, uh, it's better to uh, uh, skimp on, on protein uh, as long as you're keeping your, your carbohydrate uh, up so that you don't experience stress. Mm. Do you have any more questions, Emma, on that or before I move to the next question? No, you can move on. That's great. Um, so, Ray, could you please comment on, because uh, we get so many women, you know, again, have done all the restrictive diets and then they have all of these uh, cycle irregularities like I did or they'll have miscarriages. Can you please talk about what actually causes this? Uh, uh, yeah, stress increases 
your estrogen to progesterone ratio and you experience stress more easily when something is interfering with progesterone production. Most often low thyroid is responsible because thyroid and estrogen are inversely related. If a woman takes as much thyroid hormone as makes them feel just right, maximally efficient, they might reduce their menstruation to the extent that they don't even know they're cycling. But there's such a close inverse relationship between thyroid and estrogen. You can pretty much control your your estrogen level by adjusting your thyroid. And when you're under stress, you suppress your thyroid function, and so your estrogen rises. And estrogen, by creating inflammation and inefficient metabolism in the uterus, causes a reduced... The estrogen is wasting both glucose and oxygen, and so it's starving the tissues and will cause miscarriage because it kills the embryo and causes inflammation and contraction of the uterus. So it both damages the embryo and tends to expel it prematurely. And thyroid is the basic thing to lower the estrogen, get your progesterone back up so that it is anti-inflammatory uh, relaxes the uterus uh, and uh, protects the the embryo. Uh, my uh, 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 dissertation uh, uh, advisor uh, did research uh, 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 testing uh, the effect of just a little bit extra uh, estrogen uh, on animals that had been fertilized at uh, the the first uh, week when they were. Uh, ready to implant the embryo, uh, just the tiniest bit of extra uh, estrogen uh, caused them not to implant the embryo. Uh, the, the second week when it was implanted, it took just a little more estrogen, uh, and they would uh, kill the embryo uh, and expel it. Uh, each week uh, of uh, advanced development of the embryo, it just took a little more estrogen added uh, to kill the uh, embryo uh, and cause miscarriage. Uh, and uh, that was uh, short, that was in the 1940s, 50s, uh, but, but that was already known uh, uh, that estrogen causes miscarriage in the 1930s. Uh, and despite that knowledge, the estrogen industry managed to convince the world that estrogen was uh, not only the female hormone, but was helpful for pregnancy and preventing miscarriages. So they sold DES, diethylstilbestrol, until uh, in the 1950s. They were selling it with uh, uh, support from Harvard Medical School uh, and 
the FDA and so on, uh, selling it to prevent miscarriages, uh, then uh, it, uh, with the development of the birth control pills, uh, it, it finally uh, came out that DES was uh, causing cancer and not at all preventing miscarriages, but tending to create miscarriages. Uh, so the, the whole medical establishment was lied to uh, hundreds, thousands of lying publications in all the best medical journals uh, saying such things as uh, estrogen uh, prevents miscarriage, prevents cancer, uh, prevents epilepsy, uh, everything that they claimed that estrogen did for benefit, it turned out estrogen was causing the disease rather than preventing it. Emma, do you have any other questions to ask around that? Um, no, that's, I mean, look, I'm just thinking for the women who start to reflect on how many years they might have been on the pill, given mm. that that's pure estrogen, women who are being, you know, recommended to go on HRT, it's just, it's just so, so common. And to think of the unnecessary, unnecessary ramifications of that, um, just, yeah, to question the things that you're on and how that's probably inhibiting your, your progress. Actually, this just made me think of something. Ray, could you comment on then, I guess, because I was the same, I had irregular and painful periods and when I went to see the doctor, they're like, just take the pill mm. or, you know, get an IUD put in or get the copper, get the marina, get the copper IUD, get the, I don't know what the shot's called, the depa, I can't remember what it's called, and then, you know, the bar. So, you know, could you just talk about why, these hormonal contraceptions are so dangerous for women? Uh, uh, yeah, the, the IUD works by blocking the production uh, of progesterone. Uh, and so that leaves uh, any estrogen you produce uh, unopposed mm. uh, and uh, uh, has all of the expected uh, consequences. Uh, uh, estrogen uh, promotes the growth of fibroid tumors uh, and uh, many uh, uh, endometriosis, for example, uh, is uh, driven powerfully by an excess of estrogen. Uh, and uh, even though for years uh, progesterone uh, was recognized to block uh, endometriosis, uh, uh, the easiest way to do it is to supplement thyroid to, to lower the estrogen while raising the, the progesterone. Uh, and uh, the uh, effect of the pill, uh, they, they knew in the 1930s that the pill creates miscons uh, miscarriage uh, uh, or uh, it kills the embryo even before it can implant. Uh, and they didn't want to call it the miscarriage pill. So oh. they invented the theory that it's uh, preventing ovulation. Uh, there was never uh, any confirmation that it really uh, prevented uh, uh, ovulation, but it does block the production of, of progesterone. Uh, and so the lining of the uterus uh, is uh, thinner. Uh, progesterone is what thickens and matures the lining uh, of the uterus in preparation for a successful pregnancy, but under the influence of chronic estrogen, uh, 
uh, uh, first it's it's killing the any embryo that is in plant that is fertilized uh, and uh, prevents the implantation because it's uh, uh, deep depleting the oxygen availability needed for implantation. Uh, uh, but it, it uh, continues to uh, block the formation of the corpus luteum, which makes progesterone. Uh, and so you uh, j just don't have any uh, thickened lining uh, uh, to, to menstruate. Mm. Yeah, it's really sad, isn't it, how so many doctors just tell women to go on the pill and from such a young age too. Oh, and it's it's very, you know, it's it's a convenience thing too for women and I you'd hear it all the time too. You sort of might allude to them, you know, looking into the pill and perhaps questioning taking it. Um, and one of the first things you'll hear from young women is, oh, but it's so convenient as a, you know, contraception. And But I'd be terrified to come off it. What if I felt pregnant? And all the concerns that way. But look at the bigger picture and how how dangerous it is and is it worth it for the sake of convenience you know there's other ways to avoid conception um think of your overall health and longevity and ray what about menopause so we get a lot of women message us and um, they've been to the doctor and they're going through menopause and the doctor says oh you're low in estrogen you need more estrogen can you talk about what causes menopausal symptoms and about this misconception uh, uh, yeah in both animal studies uh, our lab was working uh, on uh, animal aging, and, and so uh, the equivalent of, of uh, menopause uh, was uh, the concentration of everyone's work. Uh, and uh, uh, people worked on different uh, uh, in interpretations, and uh, uh, the, the official medical view uh, was that uh, uh, the running out of uh, eggs in the ovary. Uh, 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 some doctors still talk about that. That, that, that eggs are depleted and no longer uh, uh, ovulate just because uh, they are, are used up because you only have as many as you were born with or that developed very early in, in your life. Uh, and uh, so they, they blamed the ovary as the source of menopause. Uh, but uh, we were, everyone in our lab working on a different uh, part of the problem uh, showed that uh, it wasn't the uh, uh, pituitary particularly. It definitely wasn't uh, the, the uterus, uh, 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 but the, uh, the amount of estrogen exposure that the pituitary received caused the pituitary to age uh, so it's it was ultimately estrogen uh, aging the pituitary uh, causing uh, the, the failure uh, of the uh, uh, uterus to be receptive uh, but the, the estrogen effect on the uterus uh, was continued uh, even after the animal's equivalent of menopause. Uh, and uh, uh, from the very oldest animals, uh, some of their uteruses uh, showed all of the signs of uh, collagen accumulation, uh, a dark coloring, 
uh, uh, looking like uh, an exaggerated uh, form of the pregnant uterus, uh, which existed because of aging and senescence, uh, and not uh, a lack of estrogen. And, and my concentration was on showing that in, in the aging hamster, all of their tissues showed increased influence of estrogen uh, uh, with uh, uh, aging. And uh, one of our uh, lab people, Terry Parkening, uh, later went on uh, when uh, uh, the assays for the actual tissue content of estrogen became available. He showed that in other animals, the actual tissue content of estrogen increased in old age. I was just showing that the signs of estrogen were all increased in old age. And when you measure estrogen in the blood, the active form of estrogen is oil-soluble but not water-soluble. And that means it stays inside oil-loving cells and doesn't get out into the bloodstream. When you're detoxifying it under the influence of thyroid and progesterone, uh, progesterone activates enzymes that attach a, a sugar molecule or, or a sulfuric acid molecule to estrogen, uh, making it leave the cell, which no longer will dissolve a water-soluble molecule, and it goes right to the kidney and is lost in the urine because it's water-soluble. So if you're low in progesterone, the amount of estrogen inside the cell increases, but you don't see it in the bloodstream because it's uh, only in the active state, not in the uh, excretable, water-soluble state. If you give uh, uh, the, the animal adequate progesterone, uh, it's able to detoxify. Uh, both thyroid and progesterone uh, activate the enzymes that detoxify it, get it out of cells to leave in the urine. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, when you measure... Uh, the blood level uh, of a, a person approaching menopause uh, in their late 30s, the estrogen is reaching the highest peak ever, while the progesterone level uh, generally is dropping off after about the age of 35. So the uh, while thyroid is decreasing with age, uh, the uh, actual amount of estrogen circulating in the blood reaches a peak. And at the first failure to menstruate, what has happened in the blood is a loss of progesterone. And with the loss of progesterone, you no longer detoxify and excrete estrogen. And so it begins staying inside cells. So after the progesterone disappears and you no longer have periods, then the estrogen in the blood gets low because the estrogen is at work inside cells causing uh, uh, symptoms such as hot flushes, uh, 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 arrhythmia, 
uh, atrial fibrillation uh, becomes epidemic uh, after menopause because of uh, estrogen uh, blocks the uh, buildup of energy and, and readiness to beat. Uh, but progesterone uh, strengthens the heartbeat and, and prevents arrhythmia. Estrogen destabilizes the heart uh, just as it destabilizes uh, 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 every cell. Uh, uh, asthma and seizures uh, very frequently increase and become a problem after menopause. Uh, and uh, that is in proportion to their, uh, the body's exposure to active intracellular estrogen. So um, would you, I guess, advise women to not take HRT then? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's a, a pure uh, sales point, the same as giving it to pregnant women to prevent miscarriage. Uh, it, uh, it's, if it has any benefit, it, it's a placebo. Do you have any other questions, Emma, around menopause? Oh, no. I mean, I could go on and on. I'm conscious of your time, Ray. Um, maybe just very very briefly, but when a woman starts to see, for example, their, their periods shortening, perhaps, you know, 40s, 50s, um, perhaps alluding to menopause coming on, the things that they could possibly do to push out their period length and, and maintain menstruation. I mean, obviously we want to push out menopause till as late as possible for their own protection. Oh, oh sure. At one of my talks, there was a, a gynecologist in the 70s, uh, and after my talk he said, yeah, that progesterone is good stuff. I've been giving it to my wife uh, for, uh, I think he said, 20 years. Uh, and he said she's 63 and still menstruating. Oh, uh, and, uh, she looked uh, like a, a very healthy woman in her 30s, but she was yeah. 63. Wow. wow. Amazing. Amazing. We love Progesty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just going to bathe in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, any other questions, Emma, before I move on? We're nearly there. So poor no, Ray's probably thinking of. I think, yeah, <laughs> Another food I think that's been really demonized, and again, I was just, I didn't have any dairy. I went, I remember my mum took me to see this naturopath when I was 12, and she said I was lactose intolerant. So then, mum, I drank soy milk, almond milk, you know, all the yucky non dairy cheeses, ate, ate all of them till pretty much. And then I obviously fell into dieting, and dairy was heavily demonized. So I continued to not um, consume it. And then, obviously, I met Emma and and then started to read your work and I was like, oh, wow. Um, and now I just eat, I drink heaps of milk and eat ice cream and love cheese. But why is it, why is it, Ray, that dairy has been so demonized? Can you talk about that? And then why is it really important to have dairy in your diet? I, I think part of it is uh, derived from the fear of breastfeeding. Uh, the, the, uh, but that has gone along uh, with a, a changed conception uh, of uh, what people are uh, and uh, once uh, they uh, were convinced that breastfeeding wasn't necessary uh, then uh, the, the idea of milk itself uh, being necessary uh, was the, the next thing in line uh, 
and uh, uh, doctors uh, shortened the period. They used to recommend a year of breastfeeding, uh, and uh, that has gradually become shorter uh, with uh, uh, many doctors now uh, recommending a shift uh, entirely uh, to a, a vegetable or bean-based uh, diet, a very horrible uh, toxic diets uh, replacing uh, continued breastfeeding uh, uh, because they're increasingly indoctrinated that milk isn't an essential human nutrient and that it can be replaced uh, simply with the chemical uh, uh, amounts of, of abstract proteins, uh, abstract fats and carbohydrates and, and so on, uh, all of which, uh, when you look at them in detail, uh, they're toxic and destructive. Uh, and uh, nothing uh, has been uh, uh, even approaching uh, the health-supporting effect of breast milk, but uh, that same uh, uh, negative view towards uh, the absolute importance of breast milk uh, extends to, to milk. And uh, to, to call uh, something almond milk or, or soy milk or oat milk, uh, it's just ridiculous because what they're, they're equating uh, a milk uh, with any white emulsion uh, uh, that holds uh, oil in a, uh, a suspension that makes the milk, makes the, the water turn white, uh, has nothing to do with milk. It's, it's really a, a criminal uh, distortion of language, uh, uh, like, like selling a petroleum jelly, calling it butter, uh, would be uh, just as r realistic and honest. Uh, and uh, so, uh, uh, a lot of it is driven uh, by uh, that history of uh, antagonism towards breastfeeding uh, spreading over to milk in general. Uh, but I, I think there's uh, uh, along that same history, uh, uh, the social meaning of, of women and femininity has changed. Uh, and uh, I think there's a lot of uh, misogyny uh, involved in people who are neurotically hating milk. Uh, there are lots of people who uh, refuse to eat anything white, uh, like the white of an egg, because it resembles milk. It, it has become a, a real uh, a borderline psychotic condition in our cultures. Uh, the, the hatred of milk uh, uh, a very bizarre uh, beliefs uh, grow up around it, uh, and uh, uh, the uh, any kind of of event that happens uh, uh, gets blamed on on milk. Uh, absolutely, the opposite of what uh, uh, the real biological effects are. So, Ray, if someone had trouble tolerating milk, so they drank milk or ate dairy products and they got an upset stomach, you know, runs, bloating, gas, why is that? Uh, usually because they're hypothyroid. Uh, and uh, the uh, antibodies that uh, are important for governing inflammation in the intestine are deficient 
if you're low in uh, thyroid and, and progesterone. Uh, and so your digestive system uh, is uh, not flexible. And, and introducing something that you haven't eaten for years, uh, simply the enzymes aren't there, uh, the energy isn't there uh, to quickly produce those enzymes. And the experiments uh, done about 40 years ago in San Francisco, in the Chinese ethnic population who are uh, uh, defined as lactose intolerant. Uh, uh, the adults have no, no uh, lactase enzyme measurable in their intestines. They had them start uh, drinking half a glass of milk at a time with meals. And after just a, a few weeks of doing that, they had as many uh, lactase enzymes in their intestine as anyone. Uh, those those few experiments uh, uh, done carefully uh, really uh, uh, ridiculed and, and dismissed uh, the idea of genetic lactase intolerance. Uh, you, you simply uh, have de-induced the enzymes for so long that it, it takes an adaptive process supported by a, a good endocrine function uh, to restore those enzymes. So I guess if you're someone who um, can't tolerate dairy, then I guess go slow <laughs> is the takeaway when you reintroduce it, just introduce a little bit and then gradually build up. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, uh, you, you don't, uh, if you don't have the lactase enzymes, a whole glass of milk uh, can cause diarrhea. But if you take uh, just a part of a glass uh, with a meal uh, and do that repeatedly, uh, 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 that small amount uh, 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 doesn't cause any uh, diarrhea. Uh, So it gives you uh, exposure to the uh, lactose, which induces the enzyme uh, that will metabolize it. Uh, The gene is there. Uh, all it has to be uh, is induced uh, to to begin functioning again. Uh, that same thing happens uh, with everything in the system. Like if you uh, if you keep taking progesterone every day of the month, you induce so many uh, uh, excretory enzymes in the liver that uh, you're excreting the progesterone at an abnormally high rate. Uh, that's why the body stops producing so much estrogen uh, for two weeks of the month uh, to let the river, liver reset its enzymes uh, so that uh, a moderate amount of estrogen, of uh, progesterone, has its full effect. Uh, that happens with anything you're exposed to, the, the enzymes uh, will adapt to it uh, if you give them, uh, uh, give the tissue a couple of weeks. Emma, do you have any other questions or anything else to add? No, that's great. Thanks for that clarification, Ray. And I, I think, again, it sort of goes slow, like you said, Kitty. And um, it's amazing what the body can do and the functions that can that can be reinstated when you give the body time. Yeah, it's fascinating. And dairy is so delicious too. I can't imagine now not eating ice cream every day or cheese. It's, it's even the terminology, isn't it, when people call you know, soy milk or nut milk, a replacement 
for dairy milk. It's it's but by no way is it a replacement. It doesn't replace the loss of protein. Doesn't replace the the calcium levels by any mean. The minerals. It's it doesn't and, even. <laughs> yeah. And and they all contain polyunsaturated fats that uh, right. slow slow your uh, metabolism and increase your tendency to gain fat. Mm. Where uh, many studies uh, show that uh, milk. Uh, besides the high calcium content uh, and adequate uh, magnesium content, uh, it uh, uh, high, an increase of milk in your diet is the single simplest way to lose excess fat. One mm. percent uh, 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 milk uh, usually uh, has enough of the fat, fat soluble vitamins, uh, so you can drink uh, two liters. Uh, of low-fat milk per day, and generally uh, uh, eat eat at least as many calories as normal, and still lose weight. Actually, just one quick question, and then we'll then we'll wrap it up because it just made me think about a question I get all the time. Um, you know, of course, you want to try and get the best quality milk that you can from pasture-raised um, animals. But uh, and I know I've spoken to this to Emma about this all, all the time. A lot, you know, women come into our program and they're on you know on a tight budget. Not everyone can afford to buy raw, um, you know, uh, organic uh, milk. Is it okay just to drink? You know, like you mentioned, one percent pasteurized milk. Uh, uh, yeah, that's what I drink in the U.S. generally, but I go by the taste of it. Uh, different brands uh, taste better than others, uh, and uh, uh, that usually means that they they aren't putting bad additives in, in the milk. Uh, but uh, it, the ideal thing is to uh, get a one percent milk straight from the the dairy before they've added anything to it. In the U.S., they require that 1% milk contain added vitamins A and D, but to add those, uh, they use an emulsifier, uh, which can be allergenic. Uh, so if a person uh, has uh, uh, some kind of an allergic uh, symptom uh, from uh, the uh, vitamin-added milk, uh, then they can uh, uh, worry about getting it direct from the the farm without added vitamins. So you don't necessarily need to drink raw milk? Uh, no, there's a small difference in nutrition, but uh, pasteurized is fine. Mm. So just, yeah, I mean, we're quite lucky in Australia, aren't we, Emma? Our milk is just, we don't have, there's only very few brands that have the added vitamins. I think uh, uh, in Australia, I don't know. About the availability of uh, uh, low-fat milk without vitamins, uh, uh, usually the the whole milk doesn't have added vitamins. Yeah, we're really we're really lucky here, Ray. We our like the majority of our milk um, doesn't have the added vitamins in Australia. I notice a lot of our US clients always say, "Oh, it's really hard to find the low-fat milk without those added vitamins." Uh, uh, yeah, the, the uh, I've heard that the emulsifier they use. Uh, contains polyethylene glycol and polysorbate 80, both of which are uh, potentially dangerous uh, allergens. Mm. Wow. Okay, great. That's awesome. Uh, Emma, do you have anything else to add? Uh, what was that? 
Oh, I'm just asking Emma if she has anything else oh, oh. to add. I think she's just got her phone on um on silent. Sorry, sorry, oh, sorry. it was on mute. <laughs> on mute. Do you have anything else? I was just saying to Ray, we're lucky simple. here, aren't we, Emma, with the milk? We're lucky in Australia. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not been made a rule that reduced fat milk mm. has to have those vitamins added so we can just have them with the fat re- removed and nothing else added. Um, there's a few that, you know, you can choose by choice that ha- have added vitamin D, but um, most of them are just, yeah, the fat removed and nothing else added to them. And, I mean, of course, if I had some cows sitting out the back of my house, you know, if I had a Amazing. farm, I'd, I'd be eating the raw, drinking the raw milk and, the, and eating the raw cheese. But I think a lot of clients get really worried. They're like, oh, kitty, you know, I can't afford to buy all this raw organic milk and organic products. And it's good to know that, you know, you can just, you know, get your good old regular milk with nothing else added, low fat, and that's still going to be fine. Yeah, no, we've got good options here i think mm. Mm. well that's um we might wrap it up now ray i'm so sorry we've taken up so much of your time <laughs> your time it's just once you get on a roll and then we have all, all these other questions you're just a wealth of knowledge i really appreciate you coming on and on the podcast i just was just thinking oh wow there's just so much inf- great information in there that our clients and listeners are just going to love and to hear it straight from him no it we're yeah. really really appreciating your time directly and it's yeah, an honour to have you on. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone. Okay. Th- thank you. Uh, important subjects to get discussed. Mm. Absolutely. No, we really appreciate it, Ray. Thanks so much. Talk soon. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.